Hi, guys. Just before we start the podcast, I want to wish you all a very happy holidays. Um, Also, if you haven't subscribed to our sexual history, what are you doing with your lives? Um, We would love if you'd subscribe to us. Um, We want to continue doing what we're doing. And the only way we can do that is if you subscribe, rate and comment and let us know that we're doing a good job. Um, And if we're not doing a good job, tell us what we're doing wrong. (laughs) You can make that a Christmas present to us by subscribing. Um, We would really, really love that. And now here is this month's Our Sexual History. Last month on our Sexual History podcast, we explored sexuality and how women were depicted in Irish mythology. This month, I wanted to take a look at how supernatural folklore, primarily that of the witch, was projected onto women to explain what society did not understand, their sexuality. This led to the persecution of many women, both in Europe and America, during the time of the Reformation when faith and worship was in a state of flux. Also in this story is a woman whose sexuality seems to be an exception to the rule and was exalted as miraculous. We'll be talking about this and more today on Our Sexual History. Today with me here, we have writer, and I know you hate being called prolific tweeter. <laughs> what, what else should we call you? Uh, the hair in the brush when you bleach it too much. Um, <laughs> a malevolent uh, creature of the underworld. Um, I write books and I walk long distances. Malevolent um. creature of the underworld, Sarah Griffin. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for, for coming down and having the chat with us. Yes. So today we're talking about... I suppose, a lack of understanding of female sexuality and in particular female orgasms um, and how they were sort of written off sometimes or or being built up as being something supernatural. Um, And I think the most most obvious um, portrayal of that is the witch, which I know you've got loads of yeah info on kind of obsessed with them so Um, the reason i wanted to to bring sarah in about this talking about witches and and mystical orgasms um was partly because of the poem you wrote for um for the repeal project so do you want to tell us a little bit about that and 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 about your poem yeah sure so uh the poem is called we face this land it's uh viewable on youtube along with a lovely video made by uh dave tynan and produced by mike donnelly and uh it was um yeah it was a wonderful experience building that thing and was really great to have something start a bit of well the conversation's already happening but to contribute something visual and artistic to the conversation but the lads knew the, the the production team who worked on this invited me to write a poem, uh, and the first thing that came into my mind um, in terms of the images I'd use was witches, because that's what modern women who in any way disobey the patriarchy still hark back to. Like it's a legacy we can't escape, mm. and this idea of the disobedient woman, like the woman who deviates from anything other than maternity, like. It's a it's our legacy in a way in that the choice women who have any agency who make things happen ultimately harken back to witches of like the past that there's it's it's our heritage and it's it's a tradition so that was where that imagery kind of came from in the work and um well I think it was especially a very powerful link between how witches were punished and how mm. Irish women are mm. punished for having an abortion and that they have to go across the sea to seek one and to seek fair treatment yeah that yeah. that was really that was kind of the primary uh 
the image that kind of kept coming back to me was this idea of trial by water and uh, trial by water during which trials that happened both in England and some, I don't know if there were many here, but in America and culturally have, have happened all over the place. Um, one of the things they used to do was, was keel haul women, which was uh, run them under a boat. And if they uh, drowned, uh, they weren't a witch. Mm. But if they survived, they absolutely were. And uh, that was something that kind of kept coming back to me again and again. And no matter how, I mean, I wasn't going to try and sanitize the work. And there is always something very risky in being like, so women are like witches. You know, people will always take this literally, as I have experienced in <laughs> with a few uh, a few critics of, of the work. They're just like, well, you know, I don't think it's very uh, politically correct for you to call women witches. I'm like, oh, you know, history and all that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, that notion of trial by water and women who have to somehow come face to face with the elements in order to uh, receive agency was something that I just couldn't kind of take my eyes off uh, the whole time. So, yeah, the, the text is a, is a piece about about women who are disobedient women. And uh, we still carry this mantle of, of uh, being witches and we're still being punished for it. In, although we're not being drowned or, or burned at stakes, we're... Thank God we're still um, we're still dealing with uh, a lot a lot of uh, like social punishment. So let's talk about a little bit about um, the history of witch trials and why they came about um, with a focus on female sexuality. Mm, well, so something that I found on my treks through the witchcraft laden websites of the internet. Um, of which there are many. Of which there are many. My God, YouTube has some brilliant documentaries. Please go. I'll talk a bit more, bit more about them later because I found the most useful uh, YouTube comment ever on my journeys, which I'll come back to in a bit. But um, something that I, I kept coming across was the idea of women as somehow evil or somehow aligned with the devil. Go right. It goes right back to the earliest binary, right? Which is like God creating man as a, a reflection of himself and um so if god made the logic here right this is not my logic this is puritan logic and the logic mm. of scholars around this so uh it's a little it's a little wonkety but uh bear with me if god made man in his own form right and woman is different to that as supported by eve's or eve's original sin right so see remember don't forget eve bit the apple like it was all eaves but but so did adam yeah but she started it (laughs) (laughs) as as supported by eve's original sin then women must be in the devil's form right so if the devil is the opposite of god Mm. and woman is the opposite of man then and god made man in his own image then what what's woman right Mm. so these are all really like reductive binaries um, which I feel like a lot of us have a lot more cop on than to literally believe. But when we're talking about the Puritans, you know, and the era of of, of witch trials, which is like rocking the 1600s, man, these guys didn't know what germs were. Like, let alone, <laughs> they, they all genuinely believed this. Everybody literally believed that God was above, the devil was below, and had to do God's work, and you're on this earth as a servant of God. That was just it. Mm. But no querying. It was just what people believed. So it was like a perception, like it was reality. Yeah. Well, so you 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 fear what you don't, don't know. know. Yeah. And I think there are, there are <clears throat> things even now in this day and age that like we still like we fear the unknown. Oh, certainly. We fi- we fear the other, and in this case, like I mean, it wasn't until 
like the last 20 years really that we've understood like started to understand female sexual response and there's a really great book that I really recommend that everybody go out and get called um, Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski talks about breaks down the science of female sexual response mm. um, and all the research that's done in that from the last 20 years so it's like it's relatively recently so like you were you were saying to me earlier that you as much as we we absolutely hate what was done to women mm. um throughout the the last few millennia um you almost have a sort of understanding or sympathy because they feared what they didn't yeah, no. it's all fear. And the woman's sexual organs are all inside their body. They're all chilling out in there. Yeah. Right? You can't see them. If, if a naked lady is standing in front of you, by and large, we're just like a body. Whereas, because you can't see it. And if you're like literally a Puritan who genuinely does believe in God and very little else, that's all a, that's all a mystery. Yeah. Do you know? You do sex, the baby comes out a while later. Like, that's that's it. Like, I think, so a, I think mystery. The, the perfect visual representation of that is... Da Vinci had because I think like back in those days like you you did not desecrate a corpse at all so Da Vinci had these ideas of what he thought the internal organs of a woman were oh because you couldn't you couldn't, like, you couldn't you examine couldn't, them for you couldn't stuff, examine for them yeah 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 or um, for art, of course yeah, yeah so um he just he did these beautiful sketches I mean they're completely wrong but like the womb to him was a, a perfect orb and um i wish wouldn't yeah. that be nice <laughs> just this like perfect just a glowing orb. orb that never hurts yeah you know it's just no like, cramps boop. yeah no problems no complications no like tubes where things go wrong just like a oh, no, there were there were tubes oh okay like coming off the the sides of the of the orb but it was it's very interesting because it was like he nearly got it right, but it was just so incredibly wrong. <laughs> but so wrong. So wrong. So wrong. So, like, of course they were afraid of us. They didn't know what was going on in there. So back then, the other most important thing is to, to remember, because we're really talking about it completely. Again, I'm not being like, well, the poor Puritans didn't know anything. Of course they set the women on fire. Like, I'm not going down that angle. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand their rationale so I can pull it apart. The other thing is the highest social point for a woman the greatest thing that we could achieve in that time was motherhood. Mm. It was to be like the practitioner of good home. Like it was to provide babies and cleanliness and a good space, right? So mm. anything that deviated from that, even remotely, was sus. Big time. Yeah. So uh, even down to the idea that like a lot of people who would have initially been persecuted for witchcraft were uh, spinsters or widows. So they either had survived marriage, so their husband died and they lived, or they'd completely rejected it and focused their lives away from the then pinnacle of female experience, which is motherhood. So social status then becomes completely linked to fertility. Mm. And that's the most important thing. Your orb, your weird little womb orb, is the most important thing about you. Uh, and the wider implications of that, think of that as like a metaphor for like like a barren... A, God, even the word barren is so awful. But infertile woman in the home of a man of, of great uh, like social power yeah. could be a, an omen of some capacity that maybe the land is infertile. Yeah. Right? So uh, that's something that kind of really blew my mind when I read. So like social horrors like that are all condensed into the woman's body. So the woman's body at once is a place of mystery and derision and like shame and danger. But it's also, no one ever said it wasn't powerful. 
which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Even the notion of it is powerful and becomes like a, a wider metaphor. So, did you just like to to go off track for a second? Mm. Um, did you ever did you watch Wolf Hall on Netflix? No, but I want to. Oh, it's so so good. So it's Damien Lewis playing Henry the Eighth, oh. and um, in it, I don't know like how true this is, but in it, he um, for years believed that the reason that Anne Boleyn w- couldn't conceive, yeah, um, now eventually. She did bear him a daughter, but the reason that she couldn't conceive a son was because his first wife, Catherine, um, was cursing him. He had been cursed oh. by her for for jilting her and divorcing her or, or having her marriage carried, carried around her mad pissed off spirit. Yeah. So there's this this really intense scene where um, I, I think Anne Boleyn had miscarried and she's freaking out and and Henry's trying to like comfort her and say like this this isn't your fault. It's not you. It's my spooky it's my spooky ex. It's, a, it's my spooky ex. <laughs> it's the ex that I like totally did wrong by. Oh, yeah. Good excuse buddy. You know yeah. nice try. Like really nice try. But like that idea of like the infertile woman, or, like the, so, like you know the 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 womb and the the whole female female sex area. She yeah. says like that's that's where I'm at right now. Like the the female sexual organs as like an object of mystery. Like you could just fucking say that they were haunted. <laughs> you could literally just be like nah, it's haunted. Straight up haunted. Womb. Oh, my last girlfriend just fucking haunted. So that's why. Like you could just say that. Mm. You could just say that, and people will go, okay, you're right. Because anything that went on inside the body was a fucking mystery. Yeah. That's what this comes down to. And like, it's it's, it's fucking amazing. But like the idea of, of witchcraft and um, like deviance in some capacity being linked to motherhood is something I'm really, really interested in, especially around, uh, I don't know, like I'm probably going to keep making art around the, the Eighth Amendment as time passes. But like uh, the, and like that stuff carries to to modern like uh, situations as well even if we're not literally calling people witches we're, we're persecuting them and treating them as though they are um, so I read this, uh, this thing earlier that, that noted the witch as the anti-mother mm. and I love that that she's this, this anti, she's the anti-mother and this is why uh, Holy Mary is the top girl Yeah, because she somehow manages to be a mam but not have done the bone dance ever so she manages to do the best social thing that you can do as a woman in the old days, which is have a baby, not just any baby, a holy baby. The holy right? baby. The and, holy um, baby. Without getting her hole. Without ever doing the do. Right? Isn't that amazing? No hole, only a baby. Yeah. So that's was really interesting to me. So think about like, like that's like, you know, your perfect social production. Like you are, you've done your job as a woman without having to do anything bold. And uh, I, uh, I think the idea of like the anti-Madonna as compared, like the witch is the anti-Madonna, right? Is in comparison to like the Antichrist, which is like the evil baby. Mm. The anti-Madonna is like, you know, the woman who carries the, the baby of Satan and stuff like that. Or like the woman who, for whom there is no visible father for their offspring, like is, is marked as like w- evil wink as the the very offspring of Satan himself. So even the, even being touched by Satan or m- missing missing man, you know, absent man, is as bad as being the, the child of Satan. I don't know. It just fucking blows my mind completely. Like that, that when you look back to the, the literal like biblical origins of all these problems, because tell me this isn't a religious problem. <laughs> tell me 
tell me YouTube co commentaries again and again. This isn't about the Catholic Church. Everything here comes back to religion. It mm. all comes back to the, to the religion because religion was all they had. That's yeah. science. Well, it's what they had as as entertainment, and we'll, we'll get. <laughs> well, well, no, yeah, what it is, yeah, yeah. But it was like because they didn't they didn't have um you know television or Tinder or any of that crap. TV, Tinder. <laughs> yeah, they didn't YouTube. they didn't have Planet Earth too. Uh, um, I'm really glad they didn't. It was very it's very it's been a very hard time for all of us Planet Earth too. Um, so what they did have is these massive cathedrals, architecture yeah. as entertainment, um, paintings, frescoes as entertainment. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Mm. But I wanted to touch on um, the visual representations of witches mm. um, and primarily things like the broomstick and potions. Yeah. So let's let's talk let's about do that. that. Flying witches, man. And Flying witches. Undeniably phallic shaped broomsticks. So yeah. something I was saying earlier about the witches and the connected, like, you know, w women intrinsically are connected historically to the home. Mm. So, you know, pots and brushes and stuff are always going to be like part of that. But like hexing those objects and making those objects somehow deviant is really interesting. I read um, a really great article. I'll, I'll put a link down below um, to this Atlas Obscura article. God um, bless Atlas Obscura. Aren't they great? Unreal. Like, um, you know, not not as great as headstuff.org. Oh, my God. Headstuff? <laughs> They're like amazing. Headstuff are so good, you guys. Um, but Atlas Obscura had this, this fantastic article about... Um, why witches fly or why witches are seen to fly um and to do with like their their broomstick and um the idea that it wasn't necessarily a spell that like if we were going to boil it down to oh boil cauldron hey. if we we're gonna boil it down to like <laughs> literal interpretations it was a witch's ointment that they would make out of things like nightshade or mandrake um hallucinogenic plants so they were literally getting high and then getting high by, like, flying on their broomstick. Um, supposedly broomsticks weren't even, like, the big massive brooms that we see in in the culture today. They were they were smaller. They were the size of, like, a whisk so that they could, like, make their potions oh and it's lotions. A it's a whisk. Of course it is. That's amazing. That's going to be... I'm going to carry one in my bag. Or get one, like, my, my buddy Hope is who's a... Uh, She's a chef uh, in the States. She has a whisk tattooed on the back of her arm. And she's oh, one, nice of the, one. One, of the, one of the good witches of the world. <laughs> uh, I must tell her that. That's really interesting. I'm telling her that right now. I hope you listen. Um, yeah, like iconography like that is really interesting because it's like it is it is a subversion of the domestic. Mm. And like the idea of these witches as being apothecaries is really interesting as well. And that like and, and midwives. Yeah. You know, like so when you become something like a midwife or, or like an apothecary, you're super responsible as well. You know, so your potions are well you're probably having a great time um there other people hinge a lot of hope on them and and by accepting them are refusing the beliefs of the church and refusing the beliefs of like the medicine of the church you know so you're in a really high risk position if you're doling out potions yeah like you really are because that fucking goes wrong it's your fault or if uh, you're a midwife and you're trying to uh like help a woman through labor and something happens it's you mm. so you can go from being like a midwife to a witch like that or a doctor to a witch like that like all of that stuff was really really high risk and um, i think it's really uh really interesting that it all links back to that that like the home like do you the, think though with the with the witch's broom despite the fact that it's phallic shaped mm. it's it's not a penis 
Like no. she's using it for herself. Yeah. And do you think that that in itself is its own it's its own subversion cuz she don't she don't need no man. No. So these are these are the earliest the earliest sex toys. You know what I mean? When yeah. you think about it. Like if you have these representations going back and part of part of why they would be witches for that is refusal of of participation in a it's in in like in the patriarchy. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like you literally don't need no man. Whatever. You know? And that's that was a dangerous avenue to take mm. you know that's hugely subversive and um at the time again keep in mind these are people who literally 100% believe in god above us and have no questions like and that the the role of the woman is to be mother and the role of the father is to be provider and doing anything like that is uh was when you think of what was at stake I guess how could they have known it was at stake like when the trials started and stuff like that like burn how her, could burn they burn her at the stake? Burn her at the stake. All the know? all the witch puns. All the witch ones, you know. Like how 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 could they have known? Mm. Like they didn't know. Um, and the other thing that's really really interesting about it is that like, you know, we we uh, I mean even I kind of talk about witches as like, you know, being persecuted mm. for this, you know, and that like women were historically maligned against, but we were agents in it ourselves too, you know, like. Women absolutely sold other women out as witches. Like, do you think that was more from a self-protection kind of aspect? That if I point the blame at someone else, that they aren't going to come after me. Or if they're coming after me, they're coming after this bitch too. Yeah. Like, bring everyone else down with you. It's that really. It's it's. I'm afraid, and I'm going to suffer alone. Or maybe if there's more of us, and this will will get off. Or all of the things that you think when you're panicking. Mm. Like the earliest Salem witch trials, there was three of them. I mean, one was a homeless woman, one was a woman who had been having seizures, and one was an old woman. And uh, the other women around them in the village had like conspired and were like, yeah, they're witches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you should probably do something about that. They're scared. Oh, look, I'm, oh, I'm possessed by the witch. Oh, look, I'm, ha- I'm speaking in tongues. Oh, you better get rid of them. Like there was a, there was definitely some. While I, while I would love to be to roll the misandry card <laughs> um, and have it a crack, there genuinely was a um, participation of other women in that as well, which ties to contemporary slut shaming. Yeah, and and the thing it. was like it didn't. There didn't even have to be any sort of like the burden of proof was on the supposed witch herself mm. that she wasn't this bride of Satan. Oh, um, yeah, and how can you prove that? Yeah. <laughs> You literally can't. So it was just, it's, again, fear of the unknown, like you're one who had the seizures. Mm. Not necessarily tied to anything sexual, but just no. just the fear of unknown. It's really interesting. The I found this wonderful list as well. Uh, just in case any of you out there are worried, uh, if you would qualify as a witch. Ooh, tell me the list. Cause you, Sean, I'm going to have to call the okay. police or the inquisitors if you are in actual fact a witch I'm so sorry okay um, we're gonna play a game is Shauna Scott a witch in 1692 in 1692 one are you female yes two can you support yourself financially <laughs> barely but yes mm, I'm gonna take that as we're, mm. we're living in Dublin the are rental market rich? is hard am I rich yeah no okay that's three so, wait what yep Either or, Shauna. Oh Either my or. God. Four. Do you have one or more female friends? I have loads of gal friends. Mm. Have you had an argument with one or more of your female friends? Yeah. Oh. Mm. 
Have you had an argument or disagreement with someone? Just anyone? Yeah. I, I like how it's like, have you had an argument with a female friend or have you had an argument with anyone? <laughs> because women don't count as people. I didn't, I didn't write this quiz. It's, yeah. it's, it's officially from 1962, this quiz. It's oh officially, it's, it's not from the internet. It's 100% from, from 1962. Yeah, I've had arguments. Are you very old? It, does, is 31 old? Mm, are you very young? Is 31 young? Mm. I feel like I'm kind of in that middle ground right mm. now. I think this is But I suppose in 1692, I would have been old. And both of those questions are, I think, you know, you're damned if you do. You're, you're damned, damned if you, if you do. don't. You're if you don't. Uh, are you a midwife? No. Oh, it's okay. Are you married with too many children? I'm divorced. Uh, are you married with too few or no children? Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you exhibited stubborn, strange, or forward behavior from someone else or just have you exhibited oh, like, have uh, you been yeah. stubborn have you been strange or forward in any way <laughs> mm. you could ask my boyfriend about that. i'm getting very suspicious yeah. guys listeners i don't know about you do you have a mole a birthmark or a third nipple i don't have a third nipple i do have a mole on my ankle that oh. i've had forever Did you hear? When, when i was a kid i used to call it my bug whoa I had a nickname for a mole. You heard it here, listeners. So if the inquis- if the inqu- if the Inquisition show up, let's mm. let's never build time machines. <laughs> Have uh, has butter or milk ever spoiled in your fridge? Oh my god, yes, all mm. the time. Oh, but, mm. hmm. Have you had sex out of wedlock? Lots of it. Have you attempted to predict the identity of your future husband? Have I attempted to, to predict, predict the identity of, like, have you daydreamed about him? Have you written his name, like, in your notebook? Like, yeah. you know, Shauna loves Isn't that like, what, isn't that what, oh, Satan. Mm, no. I'm not saying his name is Satan, oh, Shauna. Yeah, I mean, you're just, saying, yeah. you said, you know, I'm okay. just implying that it, mm, mm. If that was your future husband. Mm. Shauna hearts Satan yeah. for, yeah. The number four, ever. Forever. <laughs> mm. Have you ever done that? Not with Satan. But with a person? <laughs> with a person. We're not going to say his name is Satan. We're not naming anybody. No, he's We're definitely not. not Satan. He's definitely wink. Wink, wink. <laughs> Have you broken any rule in the Bible and thus entered into a pact with the devil? Sorry, excuse mm. me. With that one, I mean, aren't we all sinners? Isn't that why Jesus died for us? Well, here's because... some here's some rules. Here's some of the small rules okay. within there. So we can double check who's like subcategory. Oh, any okay. rules that you've broken? Uh, have you ever broken strict observance of the Sabbath? Yes. Have you ever committed adultery? That means like doing sex with anyone you're not married to at this point. Yeah. Uh, have you ever led people to other gods by prophecy or dreams? Um, not that I'm aware of. Have you planted more than one type of seed in a field? Ooh. Um, I've planted more than one type of seed in my balcony boxes. <sighs> I do Small I do fields. love wildflowers. Do you? Yeah, I you do. heard it here, listeners. Mm-mm. Uh have you ever touched a pig carcass? Um does like sausages. Like sausages. Yeah, yeah okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you weared have you weared Jeremy? Have you worn clothing made of more than one kind of cloth or fabric? This is really old testimony shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's Puritan rules. Puritan rules. Okay. Yeah. Have you more than one kind of cloth or fabric? Yeah, I love I love a poly cotton blend. Have you ever had a round haircut? Like a bowl cut? Yes. 
Have you ever braided your hair? Yep. I have a feeling that I might be a witch. Yeah, I'm really sorry. You're hellbound and are likely to be hanged or burned or left to rot in a filthy prison until you die. Ah, uh, drats. Mm. According to Mental Floss, anyway. I feel like that's the most terrifying list of things in the world. It's like so where where did that crawly. list come from? That's for Mental Floss if you want to go and examine it even more closely and have a look at your own sins and misgivings, listeners. If you want to like place yourself in a historical context and worry about what would have happened to you <laughs> if you had lived in those times. It's horrifying. It's proper horrifying. Like, were you alive ever? Have you ever had a thought? Have you ever thought yeah. about anyone? It's the thought stuff that freaks shit out of me. Ooh. So you were telling me about this book. Oh, yeah. The book about <laughs> witch trials and how to <laughs> diagnose a witch. They didn't just go on to mental floss and like, do a checklist. <laughs> so the mental floss of the 1600s. Um, and what, no. what was it called? Um, so two monks um, called uh, Jacob Springer and Henrik Kramer wrote this book called The Malleus Malficarum. It's a deadly name. That's a really cool name. Kind of witchy sounding. Very, very right. Harry Potter-esque. It's real Harry Potter. It's real Harry Potter vibes. Um, so this book was effectively... Uh, a witch hunting guide. It's like how to find, diagnose, and punish local witches. Just it's very, very important. Do you have some excerpts that you could read uh, for us? My favourite quote uh, is, uh, What else is a woman but a foe to friendship? They are evil, lecherous, vain, and lustful. All witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is, in women, insatiable. Which I thought was really interesting because I was looking up stuff about women and um, female sexuality in medieval times or um, and like the Middle Ages and stuff. And um, and they generally saw women as being the more sexually insatiable mm. sex. Um, they were compared to mares, which I thought was interesting i feel like any female sexuality that doesn't tie this is the same as the broomsticks issue Mm. right and the idea of like the 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 usefulness and size (laughs) and connotations of what a witch's broomstick may or may not have been used for initially like that ties completely to this idea that a woman's sexuality is independent of men and and, like limitless Mm. and that limitlessness is goddamn terrifying Anything that threatens, threatens, that threatens traditional notions of male sexuality and like the man as the all powerful, like that's no wonder they're trying to get rid of it. It scares the shit out of them. Mm. They're afraid, you know? It's funny. There was one example though um, St. Teresa. Our girl. Our girl, St. Teresa. Not, mo- not to be confused with Mother Teresa. No. She's St. Teresa of Avila. She was a Spanish nun. Um, She's the patron saint of headache sufferers and Spanish Catholic writers. Very specific. You know, I feel like I know somebody who she's probably literally the exact patron saint of. Yeah. Headache sufferers is wonderful. (laughs) I'm really glad that they have a saint. Yeah. Um, her feast day is October 15th. So we missed it, sadly. Is is that Scorpio? Um, She lived from 1515 to 1582 and the reason why we're talking about her is because she was known amongst other things um for maybe possibly having some sexy 
orgasm times. Um, but it was very much... It, she called it her devotion of ecstasy. I love and that. there's a very famous um, sculpture of St. Teresa's devotion of ecstasy. Or the, ex- sorry, the ecstasy of St. Teresa is the name of the sculpture. Um, and I have a picture up here. I'll, I'll make sure to, to put pictures down below with all the links and the show notes. It's really dramatic. It's incredibly dramatic. Um, she I, is having the crack. Like, she's having a lovely time. Well, in her... Because she, she did, like, an autobiography um, towards the end of her life where she said that she didn't she didn't like it. Like, she, she felt that it was a spiritual pain. Um, and, yeah. yeah, that it was, like, very much a sp- spiritual pain. And she didn't like that, that God gave her these favors, these quote-unquote favors. Um, so in, in this sculpture, she's lying back. Her, her back is arched, and there's an angel like standing above her um, with an arrow, an iron tipped arrow that she described as piercing her heart and entangling in her entrails and pulling them out. Um, The angel is very cherub like and every description of it, it's this angel's meant to be just so beautiful. It's um, it's robe is very um gauzy and light and like whipped with wind and stuff um but i feel like the the look on the angel's face is very mischievous which mm. i don't know if that's like something I'm going people... for the zoom have a look at the angel's face there is the angel gendered it's a male angel i suppose in all these statues gender was more of a notion than a let's have a look at you yeah. It's a very young yeah, angel. Yeah, there's a bit of a kind of a cheeky smile. Yeah, and if you look at her face, like, she's clearly... Oh, yeah, she's elsewhere. She's in the throes of mm. She's on, like, wave three or something. Yeah. 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 And her, like, her robes are very... So that was... Yeah, um, the fabric in this sculpture is stunning. Yeah. <laughs> Just aesthetically, like, what that genuinely looks like it could be a bunch of fabric. Loads yeah. of, like, heavy, heavy fabric robes. And it's I guess that mess. was meant to... Um, distinguish between the human, like she being like the human nun and this gauzy angel. angel. Um, So the sculpture was done by uh, Gian Lorenzo Bernini. Um, He... She's like grabbing onto the rock. She's like chilling on a rock. And she's like grabbing onto the rock with her fingers. So Bernini... Um, for those of you who aren't art history majors, um, like I am, <laughs> um, but you might know some of his work. He did Apollo and Daphne, um, which is a sculpture of Apollo, um, like following Daphne. Um, he's completely enthralled by her, absolutely just in the throes of like passion and love. And she's like, ah, get away from me. Um, he also oh, did. I do know that one. You do know that do. one. Um, we'll make sure to put pictures up. He also did the Rape of Persephone, um, which I like. I guarantee you, most of you will probably know this this sculpture if you saw a photo of it, which I will put down below. Um, all really sort of sexualized. He did a lot of. Um, he did the bust of Jesus Christ. He did a lot of work for um, a lot of popes um, during his time as a sculptor. One in particular, though, 
which I thought was really interesting. It was probably um, one of his lesser famous works um, is the Blessed Ludvika Albertoni. So it was a funerary um, statue, but she is lied out on a mattress. um, And if you like zoom into the top portion of her body, her face it's being described as in turmoil, but again... Nah, she's not in turmoil, man. She's but not. again, she looks very... Do you have it up there? Yeah, I'm yeah. chilling. Yeah, she's... she She's like touching her breast. Her her neck is arched back and she is in quote-unquote turmoil. But again, if you look at like the, the fabric and stuff, she... It's, it's very so similar to the ecstasy of St. Teresa. So, so similar. Um, and again, a nun... I just thought it was just so interesting that on one hand you have this historical villainy of women for having a vilification of women for having any sort of sexual uh, existence that's void of uh, reliance on the patriarchy. Mm. And then at the very same time when these witch trials were going on across the world, across the world, you have the holiest place that was ever a holy place, more or less. Yeah. Or where they they did a lot of talk and noise about holiness anyway. Exactly. There were these depictions of women having a great time which like was clearly a sexual thing yeah but i thought it was very interesting as well um because around the time that saint Teresa, and then after she died bernini making the the sculpture of saint Teresa. around that time was the time of like the reformation so there was real pushback against the catholic church they were, you know, losing numbers. So they were trying to get in more and more people. Like it was the Renaissance as well. So you you had, like we said earlier, um, religion as entertainment, architecture as entertainment. And Bernini was an absolute master of this. Like if you and look at... He was at, super young as well. He was young as well. He was 23 um, or something. If you look at the, the ecstasy of St. Teresa, it's not just the sculpture. It's... Um, there's a fresco above it. It's the um, the placement is really important. The, the placement yeah. is really important, and on either side of the sculpture, you have the the patrons or the family of the patron of the church. Um, sculptures of them looking on onto Saint Teresa. So it's this entire theatrical, and that was yeah, Bernini's it's background. Stuck, it's not just stuck in the side of some museum. Do you know what I mean? It's like in a full. I'm just looking at where they have a place now. Yeah, it's astonishing. And you're dead right about the patrons on looking it. Like, I wonder if there are any conversations that he. I always wonder about these artists, you know, and who are they talking to about this? You know, yeah. who are they? Is is was there? Because no, none of them are void of a sense of humor, and I think a lot of Renaissance art contains a great amount of kind of sneaky humor, you know. But like, well, maybe an art historian could come talk to me about this. But I, I really feel just based on those two sculptures, and as well the the rape of Persephone, a lot of the like the kind of looking back to like the Greek. Greek and Roman, like classical stuff, um, that sex sells. Like sex is always sold. And so how are you going to get people into those pew seats when the Reformation is going on? And like, this is just me hypothesizing. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That that it would be something titillating or in some way controversial. Um, Because again, like, I don't know, when you're going through Catholic education, you don't hear much about St. Teresa of the headaches, do you know what I mean? Like, of the good times and the headaches. Like, you don't. So it's pretty, uh, 
that's really good. That's kind of a good thought, isn't it? Like it could have, mm. it, it could have just been this a, a scandalous item. I'm not sure if it was received as a scandalous item, but um, her devote the devotions of ecstasy that she gave. I think she had, and, and you did say that she regret she expressed, uh, she sort of backpedaled on it a little bit. It wasn't that she backpedaled. I mean, she definitely like she admitted or like told everybody that it happened, but that she didn't. She didn't like that God favored her. And when I, so this Catholic.org that I, like, I was looking up more, like, stories about, because, of course, there's a Catholic.org. Um, Take that mental floss. Yeah, <laughs> Catholic.org. Yeah. Um, stories about St. Teresa. Um, it, yeah, it's really not complimentary towards her. In that, like, you know, she's a saint. As complimentary as you, you have to be towards a saint when you're a Catholic. Um but it goes on to like talk about her being an unruly teenager that she was very vain and um like she she liked to flirt with boys and wear fancy clothes and and so her father sent her off to the convent as you do um and like she wasn't a terribly decent nun according to catholic.org I, I need to like do more research into this. Um, I just thought this was like really interesting narrative. Um, They're just like, oh yeah, she's a saint, but don't read it, don't look at she, her. Yeah, she yeah, don't she's get a any saint. ideas from her. Yeah, but they just very kind of very lightly. They they Gauze. tended to to yeah they very much like glossed over the devotions of ecstasy. They said oh yeah she was ill and then she had these devotions of ecstasy and yeah. then and then other things happened. Yeah, but you she's very sick with the hysteria, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but they said part of the reason that she had these devotions of ecstasy was that um, after she got sick, she got lazy with her praying and that she wasn't praying as often. And then when she got back into praying, it was like this all consuming, like God was like punishing her by giving her these. It's too much holiness. Ecstatic. Yeah. There's too much holiness. Oh my God. Yeah. The goodness and light. I'm so overwhelmed. According to Catholic.org. I'm having such a nice time. Yeah. <laughs> Being so overwhelmed. It's fascinating. And, like, and of course, there was no ways of communicating this to the Puritans hanging out over the other side. Because they're all, again, they're all afraid of the same thing. All mm. of this punishment and control comes from fear. Um, so, of course, they're, they're like glossing over it. Yeah. You know? And, of course, on the other side of the world, they're literally setting women on fire for it. You know? It's a... Uh, it all comes back to that that great the, the great mystery of the female of the female body, you know. Mm. And the only people who are able to understand that mystery are women themselves, you know. And that kind of brings us back to another saint friend of ours that we were going to talk about, uh, which was uh, Saint Bridget. Yeah. So we we talked about this a little bit um, last month with Teresa Coyne, not oh, Saint Teresa Coyne. Teresa Coyne is brilliant. She knows all the facts. She knows all the facts. Shout out to Teresa, Teresa. Coyne. Teresa. Um, but yeah, Saint Bridget was badass. Yeah, like performing abortions. It's part of her miracles. <laughs> you know. So like that's a that's the and per- perhaps had a lesbian lover as well. No way. Yeah. Talk to Teresa about it. Get Teresa's facts. Yeah. She's brilliant. She really, really knows her folklore. Yeah, the idea that, like, the only people who can truly know and understand women's bodies are women themselves, and that that is somehow punishable, or that in somehow makes us all more in line with Satan or in line with the devil mm. than in line with the Holy Father God and the rest of mankind, operative word man. Like, that... Uh, 
Oh, it all com- it all comes back to that binary that like what 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 you can't see you're afraid of. Yeah, and uh, that women are more closely aligned with Satan, <laughs> like because you can't see anything that's going on inside us. It's really interesting. Like I really want to know. I I really wish I could understand more how um, the evolution of going from thinking that women were these insatiable brides of the devil um, who are like always up for the ride um, to up to like Victorian times and even going into the 20th century where women were seen as like completely monogamous creatures that we like didn't have a sexual life that we were essentially asexual and like baby machines baby machines I think still baby machines, yeah. <laughs> but like going from being insatiable, preferably be impregnated without having sex if you could. Yeah, so you could be like the Virgin Mary. She's very good. Here she's very good. I I heard she was yeah, quite she's good. Excellent, top top lass. But in a way, I kind of can feel that progression. Like the idea that women were did originate as as these like lustful, vain creatures. There was a handbook on how to stop us being that way. Mm. We slowly, slowly got to the, to being without gender because I don't know gender without because we were so punished for it. Yeah, we gave up. <laughs> Do you know? Like really? Like just was like nah. It's okay. Like when, like I said earlier about women setting other women up as witches. So you know, like for example, mm. it, like uh, infidelity was a big thing. You know, that if some woman came into another woman's home and corrupted it, of course, it's not the man's fault. It's the woman's fault. It's the woman's. It's the woman, the corrupting force. But it's interesting, like how um, despite the fact that like there was these massive social changes over the course of a couple hundred years with regards to how women were viewed by society, what their sexuality looked like by society. That didn't stop people from committing adultery. It didn't stop people from having sex. No, it just all the changed stuff. yeah it just changed the way society viewed women yeah which was interesting it just pushed it further and further underground and i think a part of that not necessarily comes from ownership of, of the witch thing or or ownership of of the identity of uh, like shift away from being like the good housewife or whatever and if it comes from rebellion that the that there's agency like i said earlier there's definitely agency here like women sold each other out women put women up as witches if they thought they were bad or if they mm. did something to them but Women have also always rebelled. Do you know? Yeah. So I think like the way witches were midwives and we all kind of knew we helped each other. I think women in more modern times still do that and rebel with each other and don't sell each well, hopefully, I don't know, uh, hopefully don't sell each other out anymore. And that of course women have always rebelled and rebel more under this sort of patriarchal guise of purity mm. that that standard is like you can't can't kind of beat that do you know what I mean so you might as well go the complete opposite direction yeah so uh I don't know um well I think that's probably a good place to leave it I think <laughs> I think the moral of the story is gals we gotta rebel together oh yeah we're and stronger much stronger in numbers and like one of the tenants, if you are a practicing witch, hit me up. Uh, but one of the tenants of Wicca that I always kind of like, not as, I'm not a practicing Wicca, I'm not a practicing witch, uh, don't call the Inquisition. But something that I do think about sometimes is that one of the tenants of Wicca is harm none. Mm. And like, that's kind of the way we should move forward. Like, keep an eye out for each other and harm, harm yeah. none.
like the doctors of the world. Yeah. Do no harm. Do no harm. It's the witches, man. Harm none. <laughs> so I think we'll leave it at that. Um, Sarah Griffin, thank you so much for, for coming out. Thank you so much for having me, Shauna. We'll have to have you back and talk about witches some more. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Spooky future. On that note, let's go get some witchy donuts. Yes, donuts. Woo. <laughs> P.S. The YouTube comment that I mentioned earlier that I saw that was actually the most useful YouTube comment I've ever seen because normally they're like, shut up, Sonic the Hedgehog is cool or whatever. YouTube comments are normally not the place to go. However, at this point, I did see a really, really good one under the YouTube video for the incredible history of witches. Please watch it. It's so 90s and so kitsch, but so interesting. Mm. Um, the YouTube user, whoever you are, Mr. YouTube user, left this comment saying, The dislike and evil reputation of Friday the 13th actually came from the goddess Freya. In North mythology, Freya was the origin of the word Friday, and it was said that mostly women worshipped her in groups. Freya had two black cats that pulled her chariot, both of which were gifts from Thor. Thanks, Thor! One day, Freya saw a group of 12 women worshipping her or performing a sabbat ritual. They didn't have a 13th member, since that was a good number of pagans, so Freya gave one of her cats to the women to complete their circle. Not to mention, to most pagans, Friday was usually the day you would receive blessings from the god or the goddesses. Before Christianity, the number 13 was a very good number. It symbolized immortality, change, etc. There was 13 lunar cycles, and it's also very closely associated with women. There are 13 menstrual cycles a woman has every year, give Mm -hmm. or take. Uh, when the Christian church began to rise in power, they often took pagan ideas and holidays, Christmas and Easter, and turned them into Christian days in order to make the conversion easier for pagans. If the Christian couldn't use a pagan idea to make Christianity look better, then uh, they made everything else appear evil and bad. And since it was mostly women who performed these rites or were associated with it, the Christians hated free-thinking women, it made sense that Christians would place all the blame on women and old religion. So there's your Friday the 13th. That is a great YouTube comment. Isn't that the best YouTube comment you've ever heard? (laughs) There you go. Does he have links to back it up, though? No, but I like that. I kind of believe him. I'm here for it. <laughs> All right, Freya. And her 12 gals and her one cat. Yes. Two cats. Now yeah, one but cat. one turned into a lady. So that's true. That's the cool cat. Thank you so much to the amazing Sarah Griffin for coming in and having the chats with us. Um, special thank yous to Sheena Flynn, who did the amazing artwork for us, and Shane O'Sullivan, who did the music, and my producer, Alan Bennett. If you have any ideas for the show or if one of our facts, if you're doing a bit of fact checking and you find that we messed up, you can let us know at sexhistory at headstuff.org. Also, as it's near enough to Christmas, forget your sexual history. Think about your sexual presence, in particular, your sexual Christmas presence. Get some for yourself, your sweetie, that sexy neighbor next door. No, don't do that unless they've consented to that. (laughs) Um, You can find loads of great body safe and exquisitely designed sex toys on sexshepa.ie. Be sure to check out loads of our other um, Headstuff podcast. Um, My favorite is Juvenilia because Alan McGuire is a saint, an absolute saint. And finally, like I said at the top of the show, um, please rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcast, um, whether that's iTunes or now we even have it on Spotify. So you can get all of your great sexual history stuff on, on Spotify. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll catch you all in 2017. Hopefully it won't be as much of a garbage fire as 2016 was. Check you all later. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.